Well, we're taking a break from our Roman sermon series as we consider our mission as a church. And two weeks ago, we considered our history, our revitalization effort over the last five years, and especially over the last two years as we've been in this building. And we just believe that it's time for us to think about our mission and to refresh our commitment to it as we move forward into the next phase of our revitalization effort. Last week, we considered the first line of our mission statement, that we exist to glorify our triune God. We thought about what it means to glorify God and what God's glory is. And now we turn our attention to the second line of our mission statement that addresses our growth in Christ. I'll read our mission statement for us to remind you of it as we continue in this series. Resurrection Church exists to glorify our triune God, to grow as followers of Christ, and to go into our community, serving our neighbors and sharing the good news about King Jesus. Well, now we'll consider that line to grow as followers of Christ. In biblical language, growth as a follower of Christ is wrapped up in the language of discipleship. In the Bible, to be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ. And in our mission statement, we chose not to use the term disciple just because it's not that common. We want people to know what we mean. And whenever you see the term disciple show up in the Bible, that's pretty much all it's saying. It's identifying a follower of Christ. These terms are interchangeable. But in the text that ground our mission to grow as followers of Christ, we'll see that term disciple show up over and over again. And as we consider that aspect of our mission, it's important to remember that our growth as disciples of Christ is not disconnected from glorifying God. It's not like glorifying God is one thing and then growing as a disciple or a follower of Christ is another thing. Instead, they go together. Growing as followers of Christ is a primary way that we glorify God. So Jesus made this point when he taught his disciples, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So being fruitful followers of Jesus is what brings glory to God. We believe that emphasizing our purpose of growing as followers of Christ is warranted not simply because it's a way to glorify God, but also because the notion of disciple-making and following Jesus is foundational to the mission that Jesus left his disciples. So in that text that's commonly referred to as the Great Commission, Jesus instructed his disciples to go and make more disciples. So to make disciples, to, to baptize people, to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. The mission of the church is wrapped up in this Great Commission, and it involves making disciples, growing as followers of Jesus. And today we get to celebrate in a unique way as we obey the line to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as we baptize Annika this morning, as we support her growth as a follower of Jesus. The biblical foundation for identifying growth as followers of Christ as core to the purpose of the church is probably not going to be debated by anybody in here. I don't think anyone in here is going to disagree that we ought to have as central to our purpose growth as followers of Christ. 
Yet I wonder if that phrase, growing as followers of Christ, is clear in its meaning. As with many phrases that we throw about in our Christian lingo, growth in Christ or spiritual growth or discipleship can end up being just so many words that we say diminished in every use because it's so common as it hits our ears. What does it mean to be a follower of King Jesus? Even more seriously, I wonder if as we go about our life as a church, if we subtly and unconsciously substitute following Christ with following other things, if, we're taking, if we're, our concern is taken up with growth in other areas that distract us from growing as followers of Christ, or even if our personal agendas are subverted by agendas that have nothing to do with Christ and his kingdom. So this morning, I want to reflect on what it means to grow as a follower of Christ, not only to refresh our commitment as a church to grow as followers of Christ, but also to help you reflect on your life and to consider whether or not you are following Christ in all of the components that that entails. So this morning, I want to identify three separate components that are involved in following Christ. Christ. And then next week, I want to draw our attention to the resources that God gives us in the church for our growth in Christ. So what are the components of following Christ? Number one, following Christ involves allegiance to Christ. The first component of following Christ involves giving our full allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. When we talk about allegiance, we're referring to a person's loyalty or faithfulness or devotion to a particular cause or nation or sovereign or leader. So when we talk about our allegiance to Christ, we're talking about our faithfulness or devotion or loyalty to Christ and his kingdom. It's entrusting ourselves to him and committing ourselves to a relationship with Jesus that's marked by loyalty and faithfulness and devotion. To be a follower of Jesus is to pledge our allegiance to him and him alone. Now you might find that language of pledging your allegiance to Jesus odd. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue because it's not really common in the way that we talk about our relationship to Jesus. Typically, we'll use that phrase when we say things like, I pledge allegiance to a certain flag or a certain nation. But pledging our allegiance to Jesus might sound a little bit strange. But I think it captures what Jesus calls us to. And I, I really like the language for three reasons. And I want to give you three reasons that might convince you to reframe the way you talk about your commitment to Jesus in terms of allegiance. First, I like the term because Christ is a title rather than a name. So when we refer to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not giving his first, middle, and last name. When we talk about Jesus Christ, we're using his name, Jesus, and then we're giving the title that identifies who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the promised Messiah, the anointed Son of God. 
So when you read through the New Testament, and especially in the Gospels, when you come to this term Christ, you might be helped if in your head you say Messiah or the Messiah instead. Now there's good reason most of our English translations use the word Christ instead of Messiah, but the danger of that is we lose the reality that it's an identification marking Jesus as the promised Messiah, the promised king of Israel who would become king of the world. Instead of being a mere name, Christ is a title that identifies Jesus as our king. And growth as a follower of Christ involves pledging our allegiance to Jesus, our king, and to his kingdom. It requires an expression of homage, an obedience, and unadulterated allegiance. One of my hopes is that if you've been part of our church for any amount of time, that you have come to identify Jesus not only as your savior or as your brother or as your comforter, but as your king. He is those other things to us. He's our healer, our hope, our joy. But all of that flows out from his identity as the messianic king. And as we read the Bible, we learn how to relate to God's anointed king. And I think Psalm 2 puts it most clearly when the psalmist writes, Serve Yahweh with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. And here it is. Pay homage to the Son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. What's the opposite of rebellion? It's allegiance. For his anger may ignite at any moment and all who take refuge in him are happy. That homage, that reverential awe, and that rejoicing are all part of our allegiance to King Jesus. So I find allegiance to be a fitting term to describe the kind of relationship that we ought to have to Jesus. So if you want to grow as a follower of Christ, grow in your commitment to him. Give your allegiance to him and to none other. Second, I think this term is fitting because the followers of Jesus, of the Christ, the Messiah, were first referred to as Christians. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. This designation, Christian, was given to the followers of Jesus, to the disciples, and it resulted in a separation of Christians from other adherents to Judaism. The term Christian was used to designate the followers of Jesus, and it simply means of Christ or of the party of Christ. Now, there's this popular idea that the term Christian means little Christ. I heard that all the time, and I thought that was true. Christian doesn't mean little Christ. It means you're of the party of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. It designates a group of people who have aligned themselves with those who claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. This is important because in the ancient world, religion and politics went hand in hand. Your belief in God and your commitment to God's authority and his king and his kingdom went hand in hand. And even as you read the New Testament, you can identify other political religious parties 
You read of the Sadducees, in the Pharisees, in the Herodians, in the Zealots, in the Judaizers. All of these people were people who had both religious and political commitments that were completely entwined. They were not separated at all. And when you come to the party of Christ, you come to people who are concerned about the politic of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, and they pledge their allegiance to him. To be a Christian, to be of Christ's party, is to align yourself with the Messiah, Jesus. It means that we've given our allegiance to him. And I would just suggest that in a day when religion and politics are united in so many different ways, our religion and politics ought to be united in one party, the party of Christ, with ultimate allegiance given to our King, Jesus. Third, this idea of allegiance to Christ is foundational to our growth is also helpful because when we come to the Bible and we translate the Greek word pistis, it's usually translated as faith. And when we think about our relationship to Jesus, we think about a relationship of faith. We talk about growing by faith, being connected to Jesus by faith. And in many cases, faith is a good translation, but it's a really hard word to translate into English. It just is. And even when you read your Bible, both the term faith and faithfulness are coming from the same Greek term. It entails the idea of trusting Jesus and entrusting ourselves to Jesus. This one Greek word communicates both aspects, the passive reception of Jesus and the act of giving ourselves over to Jesus. So when we put our trust in Jesus, we're also simultaneously entrusting ourselves to him. And I think in English, perhaps, if we're entrusting ourselves to King Jesus, maybe one of the best words to describe that reality is allegiance. We're giving our allegiance to King Jesus. I want to suggest that if we are going to grow in Christ, we must give our ultimate allegiance to him and him alone. That's true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a church. But the truth is that churches and individual Christians falter in their allegiance to Jesus. We waver in our commitment to Christ as we prioritize other people and other things and other agendas and other causes. We adopt pursuits that have nothing to do with Christ's kingdom. We fail to make Christ as our king and his kingdom the organizing center of our life together. And instead of being about the kingdom of Christ, we become about other things. Instead of, instead of living a life of habitual commitment and allegiance to him, instead of observing all that he commanded as our king, we, al we allow other things to rule in our lives instead. So to grow in Christ, we must recover a commitment to Jesus alone. We must recognize him as the Lord of our church. We must depend on him for all of life in every area of life. Our posture must be one of entrusting ourselves to Jesus and giving him ultimate allegiance. So that if someone asks us, who's in charge of Resurrection Church? 
Who has the power at Resurrection Church? Our answer is Jesus. Whose church is Resurrection Church? It's not Aaron's church, and it's not the pastor's church, and it's not really even your church, as fine as it is to call this your church. It's ultimately Jesus's church, because it's Jesus's agenda who drives our agenda. It's Jesus that ought to take priority here. It's Jesus, ultimately, that we ought to serve. It's Jesus that ought to be at the center of our church, in the center of our lives. So when we look at our life as a church, and when you look at your personal life, you need to ask yourselves the kind of diagnostic questions that will reveal where your allegiance really lies. Have you given the throne on your life to something else? What rules you? What drives you? What demands your highest commitment? Last week when I challenged us to evaluate whether or not we're living to the glory of God, I challenged you to ask questions about how you spend your time and your finances and your energy and what kind of relationships you pour into and, and to allow other people to speak into your life and tell you whether or not they see a commitment to King Jesus. We ought to invite others to evaluate us, to help us see have we unconsciously given our allegiance to someone or something else? If we're going to grow in Christ, if we're really going to grow as a follower of Christ, we must give our allegiance to Jesus. We must be all in on Jesus, loving him, serving him above all others. If our commitment to Jesus is lacking, if our faith in him and our entrusting ourselves to Jesus is lacking, it should be no surprise if we fail to grow in Christ. So, are you committed to Jesus? It's component number one. Component number two of our growth in Christ is our imitation of Christ. The second component of following Christ involves imitating him. It involves being transformed into the image of Christ and conforming our life patterns to Christ's life. So you must give Jesus your allegiance to grow in him, but to grow in him, you also must imitate his pattern of life. You must come to resemble Christ. It's hardly disputed that a component of being a follower of Christ involves imitating him. Can you imagine someone trying to defend that they're growing in Christ without looking like Christ at all? Well, to be a follower of Christ involves looking like him. Jesus frequently taught his disciples that they were to be like him, as he did in Matthew 10, 25 and John 13, 15. And then the apostles urged their readers to adopt the same mindset as Christ Jesus, as Paul did in Philippians 2, 5. And the, the New Testament authors continue to exhort their readers to follow in Christ's example, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5. And Paul calls on us to behold the glory of God in Christ Jesus so that we would be transformed into the image of his Son, as he does in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
And broadly speaking, theologians connect our creation in the image of God, the imago Dei, to our living in imitation of Christ. Imitatio Christi is a term that's used. But the point is that if we're going to image God and image Christ, we must imitate Christ. Following Jesus, growing as a follower of Jesus, means imitating Christ, adopting a manner of life that resembles Jesus's, a life marked by love and service and obedience to the Father. Theologians have written at this at great length, but one brief helpful work is appropriately titled Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And there he identifies the imitation of Christ as including our moral transformation, humility, obedience to God's will, devotion, prayer, self-denial, love and compassion, endurance in suffering, and detachment from worldly pursuits. My aim here is not to give you a list of things to look at, but to more broadly urge you to remember that to grow in Christ means you actually have to live like him. And one of our primary aims at Resurrection Church is to be a community that resembles Christ. When we think about what our church ought to be about and what other people ought to walk away thinking when they encounter us as a church, it's our hope that they will say, they will say that they experience Christ among us. That when they encountered us, they encountered a group of people who ministered Christ to them. That must be our aim, to resemble Christ. We do lose sight of this aim, don't we? All of us lose sight of the aim of imaging and resembling Christ for a variety of reasons. Some are innocuous but common, like we just get busy, don't we? We wake up in the morning and we don't think, I aim to image Christ today. But we should. But the cares of this world distract us. More problematically, we become entranced by enticing images in this life. And instead of wanting to resemble Christ in both his glory and suffering, we want to resemble the wealthy, or the athletes, or the popular, or the cool, and we gaze on them, and we fill our minds and our imagination with them. And instead of glorying in Christ, in beholding Christ, and being transformed into his image, we behold all of these other images and pictures of the good life, and we become those who pursue resembling those people making all of the compromises that are involved along the way. We neglect the beauty of Christ, and then we fail to display the beauty of Christ in our own life. We become inwardly focused, forgetting Christ's posture of hospitality and love, and we stare only on ourselves and our needs. And as soon as we look only on ourselves and lose our gaze on Christ— we lose our ability to imitate him. And therefore, we lose our ability to grow as his followers. So what do we do about this? We need to behold Christ. We need to gaze on Christ. 
We can do so in a thousand ways, from our singing to our reading of the scripture to speaking of him, to asking ourselves the kind of questions that help us evaluate whether or not we're actually living like Jesus. So when I was a kid, these bracelets in Bible covers that had WWJD stitched on them were really, really popular. And I had a Bible cover that looked almost exactly like that one. It was green, not black. I wish I could have it again just because the 90s are cool again. And, and maybe that will help us as we think about this. That question, what would Jesus do, was really popular. And I think we can critique it, right? We can critique the shallowness of the popularity of it. And we ought to recognize that we're not Jesus. So just because Jesus would do something doesn't necessarily mean that we ought to do that exact thing. We're, we're not trying to become 33-year-old Jewish males. We don't do everything that Jesus did. And worse, sometimes we answer the question, what would Jesus do with just what we want to do, and we put Jesus' name on it when he would have nothing to do with it. So setting all of the critiques aside, though, I think the question can be really helpful. I don't know that you're going to hurt your spiritual life if every time you encounter a troubling situation, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then you do that thing. We need to live like Jesus. We need to ask, what would Jesus do in this situation right now? Or better yet, what would Jesus want me to do right here, right now? How would Jesus want me to live? Who would Jesus want me to be? How can I image Jesus and resemble Jesus in this moment, in this particular situation? If we don't ask those kind of questions, if we're never evaluating, what does Jesus want of me? Should we be surprised that we're not doing what Jesus would want of us? Even as I want to exhort you to ask those kind of questions and then to follow through on it, to look like Jesus, I also want to recognize that we all have failed in our calling to imitate Christ. And the, the basic reality of our lives is that we will fail to imitate Christ probably even today. Built into the inclusion of that line that we ought to grow as followers of Christ in our mission statement is the acknowledgement both that we need additional growth and that we're going to fail to grow. If we were already perfectly like Jesus, we wouldn't need to have this in our mission statement, but it's there because we fail to do it. We recognize that left to ourselves, apart from God's Spirit working in us, we wouldn't grow as followers of Christ. And even with his help, we often fail. So if it's built into our mission, if, if the recognition that we are not perfectly like Jesus right now is built into our mission, that should keep us from putting up a facade that pretends like we're perfectly righteous already. The fact that this is in our mission statement should remind us that it doesn't already perfectly exist, and therefore it should kill any sense of self-righteousness. It could cut out a culture of hypocritical judgmentalism when we see other people in our church failing to look like Jesus. If we are implicitly admitting 
that we're not perfectly like Jesus, then we should not be shocked when we find that our fellow church members are sinners who are also not perfectly like Jesus. So part of our mission to grow as followers of Christ should help us stop being judgmental and hypocritical and fake in our Christianity. But then it should also cultivate a kind of church culture and environment where we can speak openly and honestly about our own failures in following Jesus. We cannot become the kind of church where it's impossible for us to talk about our weaknesses and our sinfulness. We cannot be the kind of church where we don't obey what James says when he tells us to confess our sins one to another. Because I think the first step to dementing our growth as a follower of Christ is to fail to acknowledge that we need to grow. To fulfill our mission as a church, we must be able to speak openly in our confession of sin. We must do so appropriately, of course, but we must be the kind of church where we can speak truly about our failure to imitate Christ. And that open confession ought to be met with repentance and restoration. We need to become the kind of church that can speak the truth in love to one another as we see each other failing, but not in a condemning, hard sort of way, but in a medicinal way that brings about health and vitality and a restoration to reflecting the image of Christ. And to fulfill our mission as a church, we must behold the glory of Christ in our worship, in our every gathering, in our relationships, in every day of our life. Because what we behold is what we become. So we must set our eyes on Christ and commit to following him and to following him together. So two components so far of growing as a follower of Christ. First, our, our allegiance to Christ. Second, our imitation of Christ. And then third, I want to suggest our incorporation into Christ's body. Now, I think that most people, most people who would claim to be Christians would agree with me that to grow as, as a Christian, to grow as a follower of Christ, you really need to be committed to Jesus, and you really do need to reflect Jesus. You need to imitate him. But I wonder how many people would deny that to grow as a Christian, you must become incorporated into Christ's body. You must meaningfully connect with Christ's people. You must learn to function as a body part to become a member of the church. I think that many Christians attempt to grow as a follower of Christ without ever meaningfully engaging in the body of Christ. And what I'm trying to say is that you can't do it. Now I'll try to defend this a little bit more down the road, but I, I read a guy this week who said something that I, I just found myself nodding my head to. He said, I've never met someone who is a mature and wise Christian who failed to connect meaningfully with the church. I think that's true. I've met a lot of people who identify as Christians who fail to connect to a church. 
I've met a lot of people who have weird ideas who have failed to connect to a church, but still claim to be Christians, but I haven't really met anyone who has a vibrant spiritual life who's disconnected themselves from the local church. Now, to just say, I'm, I'm not trying to be a salesman for Resurrection Church. I, I think this, you need to connect to a church somewhere. And that might not be this church. I'm not finger-pointy guy saying, you're going to find the perfect church here and you've got to connect to this church. But I do want to insist that you must connect to a church. And I hope that Resurrection Church will be the kind of church people can connect to you and find growth in Christ. But let me try to point to the Bible that supports what I'm saying here. Ben read from Ephesians 4, verses 10 through 16. I just want to read it one more time for you. Um, Jesus, Paul's talking about Jesus who ascended and then descended, and he descended and he established the church, Paul says, so that he might fill all things. I, I, I like the way the New Living Translation talks about this. He talks about Jesus um, wanting to make himself present everywhere. And the way that he does this is through the church. That's what Paul gets into here in verse 10. And he, he himself gave to some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children. So how do you, how do you move beyond being a little child in the faith? Tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit? How do you grow into maturity? It's by speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. If you want to grow properly as an individual Christian, you must do so in connection to growth as the body of Christ. We're given many images of the church in the New Testament, but this image of the body is the one that's most striking and most repeated. And I think it conveys several realities that we need to grab onto. The first reality that this image portrays of Christ is, is this, that Christ is present on earth in the church. So although Christ is physically absent, He's visibly present on earth through the church. Jesus has designated the church to be his physical representatives on earth. The church is where people connect to Jesus. It's the church that makes Christ visible. As Paul explains in Ephesians 2, the church is the temple for the Holy Spirit, the church is where we find a fundamental connection to God and Jesus Christ. So if you want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, if you want to grow in Christ, you must incorporate into his body the church. It's a way that we access Jesus' presence in a unique way. It's mediated through the church. 
And if you want to think about that more, just read Ephesians when you get home, and it shows up over and over again. The second reality conveyed through this image of the church is the body of Christ, is that a person's relationship with Jesus is never a private matter. It is true that your relationship with Jesus ought to be very personal, but the picture in the New Testament is that your relationship with Jesus is never private. Your relationship with Jesus is never just about you and Jesus. It's never just you and God, but it's you and the family of God. It's you and Jesus in the body of Christ. To be a follower of Jesus is simply that, to be a follower among other followers of Jesus. Jesus gives no one freedom to, to adopt the identity of a Christian without also adopting the identity of the church. A commitment to love and follow Jesus is a commitment to love and live with his followers, the church. No individual body part can survive on its own. This is one of the reasons I love that imagery of the body that the New Testament gives us. If you pluck out your eye and separate it from the body, it doesn't do any good. That's kind of gross, but hopefully it makes, makes a point. If you, if you cut off one part of the body, not only does that body part lose its function and life, but also the whole body is hurt and hindered because of it. What that means is that no matter how small you think your contribution might be to the church, without you, we're worse off than we are with you. And you, without us or without a local church, will lose the life and vitality that the church gives. When the body parts are disconnected from the whole, the individual part loses its function and the whole body suffers. As verse 16 of Ephesians 4 explicitly teaches, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of the love of Christ. But the third reality conveyed through this image of the church as Christ's body is the reality that our imitation of Christ cannot ever be disconnected from our incorporation into Christ's body. Our imitation of Christ, our progressive transformation into his image, is inseparable from our incorporation into his body. To be like Christ, to be joined to him, and to image him requires that we connect meaningfully to him. Now, throughout my short time of church ministry over the last 10 to 15 years, I've often heard people say things like this. They say something like, I'm just not growing at blank church. Or, I, I just feel like I'm not growing in Christ. I, I just feel like I'm stuck in a rut. And often when I hear that, the church that they're at is kind of blamed for it. And the first thing I want to know is whether or not they've become meaningfully involved at that church. Of course, I want to know if the pastor is faithfully preaching the Bible, or if, they've, if there are people there who are living in godliness, and if, if the worship services are good, and all those sorts of things. But I think fundamentally, 
if someone is feeling like they're just not growing as a follower of Christ, the problem may not be with the church that they're at. The problem may be that they're not really meaningfully connecting to the church, that they're not incorporating into the life of the church, that they haven't opened themselves up. They haven't really put in the time to become part of the church. They might attend even most Sundays, but with the kind of attendance that simply walks in the door at the start of the service and then leaves as soon as it's over. But what I want to tell you is that being a member at Resurrection Church and finding growth in Christ at Resurrection Church won't come only through showing up on a Sunday morning and hearing my wonderful sermons every week. I, I hope that my sermons will help you grow in Christ. But when Paul talks about this image of the church as the body of Christ, he's not saying that your growth will come through a 30 or 50 minute sermon, but through a full incorporation into the body of Christ. I don't think that anyone here is misguided enough to think that just hearing a sermon will give you the resources that you need for spiritual growth. But I want to reinforce the notion that to grow as a follower of Christ means coming and connecting to a local church more than just a service on Sunday. Our growth in Christ is made up of so many more resources than a sermon. It's made up of the relationships that we're given, the Bible studies we can be a part of, the service that we have. Notice in Ephesians 4 that pastors and teachers are called to equip saints to do what? To do the work of the ministry because one of the ways that God grows us in Christ is through our service. That's why in 1 Timothy, Paul says that deacons, these people who make their life all about service to God in the church, will find good standing before Christ. It's because growth as a follower of Christ means meaningfully engaging and incorporating into the life of our church. To grow in Christ as individuals requires that we grow in Christ together. And I, for whatever reason, in our culture, there's just something in the air where people don't want to connect formally to any organization. So sometimes you'll see in the news headlines, church attendance or church membership is on the decline. That's true, but it's also true of every other formal organization, from the Boy Scouts to political parties, well, maybe not so much at this time of year, but, but virtually anywhere you saw an organized group, they're all saying that membership is declining because there's something in the air where our culture just doesn't value some of these things. Well, there are a lot of reasons we need to value formal connection, and one of them is our growth in Christ. I want to speak directly, especially to individuals in our church who regularly feel the dread of getting out of bed and showing up on a Sunday morning or the, the dread of going to an event because you know you need it, but you just don't feel it. Or, or maybe like you've showed up a couple times and it just didn't really do anything for you. What I want to say to you is the same thing even I as a pastor have to tell myself sometimes is the, the exact moments in my life when I feel least like connecting meaningfully to the life of the church is probably when I need it most. That's the solution 
to the spiritual rut that I find myself in. So just very honestly, as an example in my life, we just had this prayer day the other Saturday, and every fiber in my being did not want to come to that prayer day. That's probably not good to admit too often, but I did just talk about confession of sin. There are times where I just don't feel like going out into the cold and driving here and sitting and, and having to pray because I'm not a very good Christian sometimes. And, and I think for many of you who don't have in your job description show up to prayer gatherings, you, you probably are just much more easily resigned to not participate in the life of the church. From my own experience, even this past Saturday, being forced to pray with people and in being forced to talk in our group some about the glory of God and, and then people praying for me, I left feeling something different. I think God did something through that meaningful engagement in the life of the church. So I, I just want to encourage you when you, feel, when you feel most tempted to disconnect from church life is when you need it most. When you feel that you're in the deepest spiritual rut and maybe you're not good enough to show up to church or maybe you don't feel like it makes sense for you to show up to that Bible study because you didn't actually read the Bible that week or because you feel like you shouldn't show up to pray because you didn't pray at all this week, that's exactly when you ought to do it because that's how God is going to use the church to grow you as a follower follower of Christ. So my challenge to you is to actually incorporate yourself into the life of this church, or really into the life of any church. To grow as a follower of Christ, you can't do it alone. You must do it together. So how do we grow in Christ? We pledge our allegiance to him. We progressively are transformed to imitate him then we must incorporate ourselves into Christ's body. At Resurrection Church, we exist to glorify our triune God, to grow as followers of Christ, and to go into our community, serving our neighbors and sharing the good news about King Jesus. And even now, as we sing and as we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that because there's one loaf, we're one body, one body that resembles the Christ who died for us. God, we pray that you would transform us into the image of Christ and that you would use the ordinances, the sacraments of the church now as we participate in the Lord's Supper and as we observe this baptism where Annika will formally pledge her allegiance to King Jesus. Would you allow our allegiance to Jesus to be strengthened? And would you allow us to better imitate Christ? And would you allow us, even when it's difficult, to incorporate, to fold ourselves into the life of the church so that together we'll grow into Christ, who is our head. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.